When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I'm your host, Liv, who fucking loves just reading things aloud. 
We've had a lot of conversation episodes these past Fridays and we'll have a lot more to come. So today felt like the perfect place to put in a nice, simple reading episode. Plus, while I'm traveling and had to prepare a bunch of things early and my original plans for today's episodes changed at last minute, so here we are. I am always looking for more ancient sources to read aloud, particularly those I can read that have translations that are legally available and also, you know, not impossible to understand because they're hundreds of years old. When I'm back from my travels, I'll likely start some new reading that will take up a bunch of episodes, but for now I needed shorter ones. And, well, so enter this particular reading episode. The Shield of Heracles is not one of the most popular epics today, and peek behind the curtain, I have not even read it. But <laughs> it was quite popular in the ancient world. It's attributed to Hesiod, but of course, that's probably not true because that attribution was likely done later to make this work seem a bit fancier, and because, well, Hesiod was almost certainly not a real person, just like Homer was almost certainly not a real person. This work, though, provides a bit more of Heracles's endless, endless story, particularly his time in Thessaly. It's also kind of an ode to Homer, calling back to the long-winded description of the shield that Hephaestus makes for Achilles in the Iliad, which of course is later called upon again in Virgil's Aeneid with the shield that Vulcan makes for Aeneas. Extensive shields were a bit of a hot topic. All of the works attributed to Hesiod and Homer come from the just the brilliant and incredible tradition of oral storytelling in the ancient Greek world. This work, The Shield of Heracles, fits in with that tradition, something that was sung by traveling bards around the ancient Greek world that grew and changed through time, that took on elements and lost others. <sighs> I just love the idea of oral tradition so much, just more than anything, honestly. Eventually, though, these pieces were written down into the versions that we have now, and somewhere down the line, possibly quite late in the case of this one, this particular epic poem was attributed to Hesiod, and it just kind of stuck. But in the end, it doesn't matter who did or did not write it, or whether or not they were or not named Hesiod. It's an ancient epic poem nonetheless, and so it's pretty worthy of our reading, and specifically, my reading it to you. Just a warning, this piece does jump kind of right in. I, I'm not sure what parts are fragmentary or otherwise, but we just kind of get thrown into the story of Heracles' parents, kind of, and so on. So I think you'll gather it, you know, or just listen to my voice saying ancient things to you, I guess. This is The Shield of Heracles, attributed to Hesiod, translated by Hugh Evelyn White. Or like he who left home and country and came to Thebes, following warlike Amphitryon, even Alcmena, the daughter of Electrion, gatherer of people. She surpassed the tribe of womankind in beauty and in height, and in wisdom none vied with her, of those whom mortal women bore of union with mortal men. 
Her face and her dark eyes wafted such charm as comes from golden Aphrodite, and she so honoured her husband in her heart as none of womankind did before her. Verily, he had slain her noble father violently when he was angry about oxen. So he left his own country and came to Thebes and was suppliant to the shield-carrying men of Cadmus. There he dwelt with his modest wife without the joys of love, nor might he go in unto the neat-ankled daughter of Electrion until he had avenged the death of his wife's great-hearted brothers, and utterly burned with blazing fire the villages of the heroes, the Taphians and the Telebians, for this thing was laid upon him, and the gods were witnesses to it. And he feared their anger, and hastened to perform the great task to which Zeus had bound him. With him went the horse-driving Boeotians, breathing above their shield, and the Locrians who fight hand to hand, and the gallant Phocians eager for war and battle. And the noble son of Alcaeus led them, rejoicing in his host. But the father of men and gods was forming another scheme in his heart, to beget one to defend against destruction gods and men who eat bread. So he arose from Olympus by night, pondering guile in the deep of his heart, and yearned for the love of the well-girdled woman. Quickly he came to Typhionium, and from there again wise Zeus went on and trod the highest peak of Ficium. There he sat and planned marvellous things in his heart. So in one night Zeus shared the bed and love of the neat-ankled daughter of Electrion and fulfilled his desire. And in the same night Amphitryon, gatherer of the people, the glorious hero, came to his house when he had ended his great task. He hastened not to go to his bondmen and shepherds afield, but first went in unto his wife. Such desire took hold on the shepherd of the people, and as a man who has escaped joyfully from misery, whether of sore disease or cruel bondage, so then did Amphitryon, when he had wound up all his heavy task, come gladly and welcome to his home. And all night long he lay with his modest wife, delighting in the gifts of golden Aphrodite. And she, being subject in love to a god and to a man exceeding goodly, brought forth twin sons in seven gated Thebes. Though they were brothers, these were not of one spirit, for one was weaker, but the other a far better man, one terrible and strong, the mighty Heracles. Him she bore through the embrace of the son of Kronos, lord of dark clouds, and the other, Iphicles of Amphitryon, the spear-wielder, offspring distinct, this one of union with the mortal man, but that other of union with Zeus, leader of all the gods. And he slew Sickness, the gallant son of Ares, for he found him in the clothes of far-shooting Apollo, him and his father Ares, never sated with war. Their armor shone like a flame of blazing fire as they two stood in their car. Their swift horses struck the earth and pawed it with their hoofs. And the dust rose like smoke about them, pounded by the chariot wheels and the horses' hoofs. 
while the well-made chariot and its rails rattled around them as the horses plunged. And blameless sickness was glad, for he looked to slay the warlike son of Zeus and his charioteer with the sword, and to strip off their splendid armor. But Phoebus Apollo would not listen to his vaunts, for he himself had stirred up mighty Heracles against him, and all the grove and altar of Pagasian Apollo flamed because of the dread god and because of his arms, for his eyes flashed as with fire. What mortal men would have dared to meet him face to face save Heracles and glorious Aeolus? For great was their strength and unconquerable were the arms which grew from their shoulders on their strong limbs. Then Heracles spoke to his charioteer, strong Aeolus, O hero Aeolus, best beloved of all men, truly Amphitryon sinned deeply against the blessed gods who dwelt on Olympus when he came to sweet-crowned Thebes and left Tyrans, the well-built citadel, because he slew Electrion for the sake of his wide-browned oxen. Then he came to Creon and long-robed Enochia, who received him kindly and gave him all fitting things, as is due to suppliants, and honored him in their hearts even more. And he lived joyfully with his wife, the neat-ankled daughter of Electrion, and presently, while the years rolled on, we were born, unlike in body as in mind, even your father and I. From him Zeus took away sense, so that he left his home and his parents and went to do honor to the wicked Eurystheus, unhappy man. Deeply indeed did he grieve afterwards in the bearing the burden of his own mad folly, but that cannot be taken back. But on me fate laid heavy tasks. Yet, come, friend, quickly take the red-dyed reins of the swift horses and raise high courage in your heart and guide the swift chariot and strong fleet-footed horses straight on. Have no secret fear at the noise of man-slaying Ares, who now rages shouting about the holy grove of Phoebus Apollo, the lord who shoots from afar. Surely strong though he be, he shall have enough of war. And blameless Aeolus answered him again, Good friend, truly the father of men and gods greatly honors your head, and the bull-like earth-shaker also, who keeps Thebes's veil of walls and guards the city. So strong and great is this fellow they bring into your hands that you may win great glory. But come, put on your arms of war, that with all speed we may bring the car of Ares and our own together and fight, for he shall not frighten the dauntless son of Zeus, nor yet the son of Iphiclus. Rather, I think he will flee before the two sons of blameless Alcides who are near him and eager to raise the war cry for battle, for this they love better than a feast." So he said, and mighty Heracles was glad in heart and smiled, for the other's words pleased him well, and he answered him with winged words. O hero Aeolus, heaven sprung, now is rough battle hard at hand, but as you have shown your skill at other times, so now wheel the great black-maned horse Arion about every way, and help me as you may be able." So he said, and put upon his legs greaves of shining bronze, the splendid gift of Hephaestus, 
Next, he fastened about his breast a fine golden breastplate, curiously wrought, which Pallas Athene, the daughter of Zeus, had given him when he first was about to set upon his grievous labors. Over his shoulders the fierce warrior put the steel that saves men from doom, and across his breast he slung behind him a hollow quiver. Within it were many chilling arrows, dealers of death which make speech forgotten. In front they had death and trickled with tears, their shafts were smooth and very long, and their butts were covered with feathers of a brown eagle. And he took his strong spear pointed with shining bronze, and on his valiant head set a well-made helm of adamant, cunningly wrought, which fitted closely on the temples and that guarded the head of godlike Heracles. In his hands he took his shield all glittering, no one ever broke it with a blow or crushed it, and a wonder it was to see, for its whole orb was a shimmer with enamel and white ivory and electrum, and it glowed with shining gold. And there were zones of cyanus drawn upon it. In the center was fear worked in adamant, unspeakable, staring backwards with eyes that glowed like fire. His mouth was full of teeth in a white row, fearful and daunting, and upon his grim brow hovered frightful strife, who arrays the throng of men. Pitiless she, for she took away the mind and senses of poor wretches who made war against the son of Zeus. Their souls passed beneath the earth and went down into the house of Hades, but their bones, when the skin is rotted about them, crumble away on the dark earth under parching Sirius. Upon the shield pursuit and flight were wrought, and tumult and panic and slaughter, strife also and uproar were hurrying about, and deadly fate was there holding one man newly wounded and another unwounded, and one who was dead. She was dragging by the feet through the tumult. She had on her shoulders a garment red with the blood of men, and terribly she glared and gnashed her teeth. And there were heads of snakes unspeakably frightful, twelve of them, and they used to frighten the tribes of men on earth whosoever made war against the son of Zeus. For they would clash their teeth when Amphitryon's son was fighting, and brightly shone these wonderful works. And it was as though there were spots upon the frightful snakes, and their backs were dark blue, and their jaws were black. Also there were upon the shield droves of boars and lions who glared at each other, being furious and eager. The rows of them moved on together, and neither side trembled, but both bristled upon their manes. For already a great lion lay between them and two boars, one on either side, bereft of life, and their dark blood was dripping down upon the ground. They lay dead with necks outstretched beneath the grim lions, and both sides were roused still more to fight because they were angry, the fierce boars and the bright-eyed lions. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. 
the joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And there was the strife of the Lapith spearmen gathered round the prince Cenius and Drias and Pirithus, with Hoplius, Exadius, Phalarius, and Prolochus, Mopsus, the son of Amici, and Titaresia, a scion of Ares, and Theseus, the son of Aegeus, like unto the deathless gods. These were of silver and had armor of gold upon their bodies. And the centaurs were gathered against them on the other side with Petraeus and Asbolus the Diviner, Arctus and Urius and black-haired Mimas, and the two sons of silver, and they had pine trees of gold in their hands, and they were rushing together as though they were alive and striking at one another hand to hand with spears and with pines. And on the shield stood the fleet-footed horses of grim Ares made gold, and deadly Ares, the spoil-winner himself, 
He had a spear in his hands and was urging on the footmen. He was red with blood as if he were slaying living men, and he stood in his chariot. Behind him stood fear and flight, eager to plunge amidst the fighting men. There, too, was the daughter of Zeus, Tritogonia, who drives the spoil. She was like as if she would array in battle, with a spear in her hand and a golden helmet and the aegis about her shoulders, and she was going towards the awful strife. And there was the holy company of the deathless gods, and in the midst the son of Zeus and Leto played sweetly on a golden lyre. There also was the abode of the gods, pure Olympus, and their assembly and infinite riches were spread around in a gathering. The muses of Pyrrhea were beginning a song like clear-voiced singers. And on the shield was a harbor with a safe haven from the irresistible sea, made of refined tin wrought in a circle, and it seemed to heave with waves. In the middle of it there were many dolphins, rushing this way and that, fishing, and they seemed to be swimming. Two dolphins of silver were spouting and devouring the mute fishes, and beneath them fishes of bronze were trembling. And on the shore sat a fisherman, watching in his hands. He held a casting net for a fish, and he seemed as if about to cast it forth. There, too, was the son of rich-haired Danae, the horseman Perseus. His feet did not touch the shield, and yet were not far from it. Very marvellous to remark, since he had not supported anywhere, for so did the famous lame one fashion him of gold with his hands. On his feet he had winged sandals, and his black-sheathed sword was slung across his shoulders by a cross-belt of bronze. He was flying swift as thought. The head of a dreadful monster, the Gorgon, covered the broad of his back, and a bag of silver, a marvel to see, contained it, and from the bag bright tassels of gold hung down. Upon the head of the hero lay the dread cap of Hades, which had the awful gloom of night. Perseus himself, the son of Danny, was a full stretch, like one who hurries and shudders with horror. And after him rushed the Gorgons, unapproachable and unspeakable, longing to seize him, as they trod upon the pale adamant. The shield rang sharp and clear with a loud clanging. Two serpents hung down at their girdles with heads curved forward. Their tongues were flickering, and their teeth gnashing with fury, and their eyes glaring fiercely, and upon the awful heads of the Gorgons great fear was quaking. And beyond these there were men fighting in warlike harness, some defending their own town and parents from destruction, and others eager to sack it. Many lay dead, but the greater number still strove and fought. The women on well-built towers of bronze were crying shrilly and tearing their cheeks like living beings. The work of famous Hephaestus. And the men who were elders and on whom old age had laid hold were all together outside the gates, and were holding up their hands to the blessed gods, fearing for their own sons. But these again were engaged in battle, and behind them the dusky fates, gnashing their white fangs, lowering grim, bloody and unapproachable, struggled for those who were falling, for they all were longing to drink dark blood." So soon as they caught a man overthrown or falling newly wounded, one of them would clasp her great claws about him, and his soul would go down to Hades, to chilly Tartarus, 
and when they had satisfied their souls with human blood, they would cast that one behind them and rush back again into the tumult and the fray. Clotho and Lachesis were over them, and Atropos less tall than they, a goddess of no great fame, yet superior to the others and the eldest of them. And they made a fierce fight over one poor wretch, glaring evilly at one another with furious eyes and fighting equally with claws and hands. By them stood darkness and death, mournful and fearful, pale, shriveled, shrunk with hunger, swollen need. Long nails tipped her hands and she dribbled at the nose and from her cheeks blood dripped down to the ground. She stood leering hideously, and much dust sodden with tears lay upon her shoulders. Next, there was a city of men with goodly towers and seven gates of gold, fitted to the lintels, guarded it. The men were making merry with festivities and dances, some were bringing home a bride to her husband on a well-wheeled car, while the bridal song swelled high, and the glow of blazing torches held by handmaidens rolled in waves afar. And these maidens went before, delighting in the festival, and after them came frolicsome choirs, the youth singing soft-mouthed to the sound of shrill pipes, while the echo was shivered around them and the girls led on the lovely dance to the sound of lyres. Then again on the other side was a rout of young men reveling, with flutes playing, some frolicking with dance and song, and others were going forward in time with the flute player and laughing. The whole town was filled with mirth and dance and festivity. Others again were mounted on horseback and galloping before the town, and there were plowmen breaking up the good soul, clothed in tunics girt up. Also there was a wide wheat land, and some men were reaping with sharp hooks the stalks with bended the weight of the cars, as if they were reaping Demeter's grain. Others were binding the sheaves with bands and were spreading the threshing floor and some held reaping hooks and were gathering the vintage, while others were taking from the reapers into baskets white and black clusters from the long rows of vines that were heavy with leaves and tendrils of silver. Others again were gathering them into baskets. Beside them was a row of vines in gold, the splendid work of cunning Hephaestus. It had shivering leaves and stakes of silver and was laden with grapes which turned black and there were men treading out the grapes and others drawing liquor, and there were men boxing and wrestling and huntsmen chasing swift hares with a leash of sharp-toothed dogs before them, they eager to catch the hares, and the hares eager to escape. Next to them were horsemen hard-set, and they contended and labored for a prize. The charioteers standing on their well-woven cars urged on their swift horses with loose rein. The jointed cars flew along clattering and the knaves of the wheels shrieked loudly. So they were engaged in an unending toil, and the end with victory came never to them, and the contest was ever unwon. And there was set out for them within the course a great tripod of gold, the splendid work of cunning Hephaestus. And round the rim ocean was flowing with a full stream as it seemed, and enclosed all the cunning work of the shield. 
Over it, swans were soaring and calling loudly, and many others were swimming upon the surface of the water, and near them were shoals of fish. A wonderful thing the great strong shield was to see, even for Zeus the loud thunderer, by whose will Hephaestus made it and fitted it with his hands. The shield the valiant son of Zeus wielded masterly, and leaped upon his horse chariot like the lightning of his father Zeus, who holds the aegis, moving lively, and his chariot strong Aeolus, standing upon the car, guided the curved chariot. Then the goddess grey-eyed Athena came near them and spoke winged words, encouraging them. Hail, offspring of far-famed Lyncaeus, even now Zeus who reigns over the blessed gods gives you power to slay sickness and to strip off his splendid armor. Yet I will tell you something besides, mightiest of the people, when you have robbed sickness of sweet life, then leave him there and his armor also, and you yourself watch man slaying Ares narrowly as he attacks, and wherever you shall see him uncovered below his cunningly wrought shield, there wound him with your sharp spear. Then draw back, for it is not ordained that you should take his horses or his splendid armor." So said the bright-eyed goddess, and swiftly got up into the car with victory and renown in her hands. Then heaven-nurtured Aeolus called terribly to the horses, and at his cry they swiftly whirled the fleet chariot along, raising dust from the plain. For the goddess, bright-eyed Athena, put metal into them by shaking her aegis. And the earth groaned all round them, and they, horse-taming sickness and Ares, insatiable in war, came on together like fire or whirlwind. Then their horses neighed shrilly face to face, and the echo was shivered around them. And mighty Heracles spoke first and said to that other, Sickness, good sir, why, pray, do you set your swift horses at us? men who are tried in labor and pain. Nay, guide your fleet car aside and yield and go out to the path. It is Trachis I am driving on, to Cakes, the king, who is the first in Trachis for power and for honor, and that you yourself know well, for you have his daughter, dark-eyed Themistinui, to wife. Fool, for Ares shall not deliver you from the end of death, if we two meet together in battle." Another time ere this, I declare, he has made trial of my spear, and when he defended Sandy Pelos and stood against me, fiercely longing for this fight. Thrice was he stricken by my spear and dashed to earth, and his shield was pierced, but the fourth time I struck his thigh, laying on with all my strength, and tore deep into his flesh, and he fell headlong into the dust upon the ground through the force of my spear thrust. Then truly he would have been disgraced among the deathless gods if by my hands he had left behind his bloody spoils. So he said, but sickness, the stout spearman, cared not to obey him and pull up the horses that drew his chariot. Then it was that his well-woven cars, they both leaped straight to the ground, the son of Zeus and the son of the lord of war. The charioteers drove nearby with their horses, their beautiful manes, and the wide earth rang with the beat of their hooves as they rushed along. 
As when rocks leap forth from the high peak of a great mountain and fall on one another, and many towering oaks and pines and long-rooted poplars are broken by them, as they swirl softly down until they reach the plain, so did they fall on one another with a great shout, and all the town of the Myrmidons and famous Iolcus and Arni and Helice and Gracianthea echoed loudly at the voice of the two. With an awful cry they closed, and wise Zeus thundered loudly and rained down drops of blood, giving the signal for death to his dauntless son. As a tusked boar that is fearful for a man to see before him in the glens of a mountain resolves to fight with the huntsmen and white tusks, turning sideways while foam flows all round his mouth, and he gnashes and his eyes are like glowing fire, and he bristles the hair on his mane and around his neck. Like him, the son of Zeus leaped from his horse chariot, and when the dark-winged whirring grasshopper, perched on a green shoot, begins to sing of summer to men, his food and drink is the dainty dew, and all day long from dawn pours forth his voice in the deadliest heat, when Sirius scorches the flesh, then the beard grows upon the millet which men sow in summer when the crude grapes which Dionysus gave to men, a joy and a sorrow both, begin to color, in that season they fought and loud rose the clamor. As two lions on either side of a slain deer spring at one another in fury, and there is a fearful snarling and a clashing also of teeth, like vultures with crooked talons and hooked beak that fight and scream aloud on a high rock over a mountain goat or fat wild deer which some active man has shot with an arrow from the string, and himself has wandered away elsewhere, not knowing the place, but they quickly mark it and vehemently do keen battle about it. Like these, they too rushed upon one another with a shout. Then, sickness, eager to kill the son of Almighty Zeus, struck upon his shield with a brazen spear, but did not break the bronze, and the gift of the god saved his foe. But the son of Amphitryon, mighty Heracles, with his strong spear, struck sickness violently in the neck beneath the chin, where it was unguarded between helm and shield. And the deadly spear cut through the two sinews, for the hero's full strength alighted on his foe. And sickness fell as an oak falls or a lofty pine that is stricken by the lurid thunderbolt of Zeus, even so he fell, and his armor, adorned with bronze, clashed about him. Then the stout-hearted son of Zeus let him be, and himself watched for the onset of man-slaying Ares. Fiercely he stared, like a lion who has come upon a body, and full eagerly rips the hide with his strong claws, and takes away the sweet life with all speed. His dark heart is filled with rage, and his eyes glare fiercely, while he tears up the earth with his paws, and lashes his flanks and shoulders with his tail, so that no one dares to face him and go near to give battle. Even so, the son of Amphitryon, unsated of battle, stood eagerly face to face with Ares, nursing courage in his heart. And Ares drew near him with grief in his heart, and they both sprang at one another with a cry. 
As it is when a rock shoots out from a great cliff and whirls down with long bounds, careening eagerly with a roar, and a high crag clashes with it and keeps it there where they strike together. With no less clamor did deadly Ares, the chariot-born, rush shouting at Heracles, and he quickly received the attack. But Athena, the daughter of Aegis-bearing Zeus, came to meet Ares, wearing the dark Aegis, and she looked at him with an angry frown and spoke winged words to him. Ares, check your fierce anger and matchless hands, for it is not ordained that you should kill Heracles, the bold-hearted son of Zeus, and strip off his rich armor. Come, then, cease fighting and do not withstand me. So said she, but did not move the courageous spirit of Ares. But he uttered a great shout, and waving his spear like fire, he rushed headlong at strong Heracles, longing to kill him, and hurled a brazen spear upon the great shield, for he was furiously angry because of his dead son. But bright-eyed Athena reached out from the car and turned aside the force of the spear. Then... Bitter grief seized Ares, and he drew his keen sword and leaped upon bold-hearted Heracles. But as he came on, the son of Amphitryon, unsated of fierce battle, shrewdly wounded his thigh where it was exposed under his richly wrought shield, and tore deep into his flesh with the spear thrust and cast him flat upon the ground. And panic and dread quickly drove his smooth-wheeled chariot and horses near him, and lifted him from the wide-pathed earth into his richly wrought car, and then straight-lashed the horses and came to high Olympus. But the son of Alcmena and glorious Aeolus stripped the fine armor off Sickness's shoulders and went, and their swift horses carried them straight to the city of Trachis, and bright-eyed Athena went thence to great Olympus and her father's house. As for sickness, cakes buried him and the countless people who lived near the city of the glorious king, in Anthe and the city of the Myrmidons and famous Iolcus and Arne and Helice, and much people were gathered doing honor to cakes, the friend of the blessed gods, but an hourus swelled by a rainstorm blotted out the grave and memorial of sickness, for so Apollo, Leto's son, commanded him, because he used to watch for and violently despoil the rich hecatombs that any might bring to Pitho. Ah, nerds, as always, thank you for listening. I love reading things aloud to you all. I'm just so extra thankful that you all like it too. This one was interesting. First, I'm sorry for the pronunciation of Ares' son. It's spelled C-Y-C-N-U-S in English. It's probably like kickness, but sickness feels right. And I just had to pick one and both felt not perfect. So... Here we are. It's just so interesting. I actually didn't know that this was what the play was about. I can't believe Heracles just like straight up fights Ares. That's interesting. And look, he ends up in Trachis and we were just there. How fascinating. Anyway, that was very fun. And I've been recording all day. So now my voice is going or just going to finish up.
I just think it's the perfect combination for these Friday episodes to have the conversations and readings. I can't always keep up with recording and editing conversations and coordinating with guests and everything. So having the ability to toss in a reading is just so helpful to me. And well, it's fun because seriously, I just love the experience of reading these aloud to you, listening to the stories for the first time as I do it and getting to inject a bit of drama and even sarcasm when the moment arises, which man, you just wait for the readings I have coming up. You will not believe the ancient epic that I've got for you. It is one of the most enjoyable and silly and weird and wonderful things I've ever read. And now that I think of it, I've actually prepared so many episodes in advance by this point that there is not one but two ancient epics that fit that description, and they're both coming at you very soon. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is written and produced by me, Liv Albert. Michaela Smith is the Hermes to my Olympians and handles so many podcast-related things, particularly while I'm away. She is a true lifesaver. We've got an intern right now, too. What a thrill. As I keep having to say, unfortunately, Grace Roby hasn't started by the time I've had to record all these episodes, but I am certain she's going to be an amazing addition to my tiny team and so helpful. Stephanie Foley works so hard to transcribe and edit the scripts of this podcast for greater accessibility. Uh, She's been doing that for ages and I've just now realized I should be doing credits and things. So just truly big thank you to Stephanie who's been doing this for like a year and a half for me just so I can get these ready to be on YouTube. It's amazingly helpful. The podcast is hosted and monetized by Acast. And before I lose my voice completely, having recorded four episodes, in an afternoon, I am Liv, and I love this shit. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules, and yet... Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.